Before we start today's video, I wanna let you guys know that we're having the next launch for the Standard this Friday, November 25th. The Standard is a community of high-performing men committed to excellence who help one another unlock their full potential. I wanna see all you great men tap into the community, and let's get started with today's episode. What's the easiest way to become more financially secure? Be okay being stupid. Like, like having a beat up car when all of your friends are driving the nice Mercedes or the BMWs or the nice Toyotas. They got the new cars and you're driving a, a run down car because you bought it cash. Now you don't have a car payment, but you're investing that money that you would have put towards your car payment. You sacrifice some vacations today and everyone's like, dude, what the heck is wrong with you? Live your life. YOLO, what are you talking about? And now you're taking that eight grand that you would have put towards that Cancun vacation and you're putting it towards your future. You live smaller now for a few years. That way you can live the rest of your life way bigger and financially free. Everyone's going to think you lost your mind. But once you get to the other side, everyone's going to ask, how did you do it? Everyone's going to wonder, what's the secret? What's the shortcut? Or what scam did you do to get to where you are? Right? And this is one of those things where you can't bypass that sacrifice. everybody this is Hafiz and welcome back to another episode guys as you know been taking it back a little bit in regards to dropping new episodes working on some really exciting projects especially what we have going on with the standard but I said before I take any more of a break recording episodes there is a few people I absolutely have to have on the podcast and this upcoming guest is somebody who I've been watching their content for such a long time true enough story my dad rarely probably has never watch the podcast but i believe he will watch it today <laughs> because he's such a big fan of this new guest who's about to come on guys man the wisdom the articulation the intelligence on the topic of money and business is one of a kind so without further ado please welcome to the show the one and only jaspreet singh wow well thank you for having me on man that was a uh, really kind of you and tell your dad i say hello and thank you for of the course. support of course, of course. No, my dad is, um, you know, I've always found a lot of similarities between Indian households and Nigerian households. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, my, I don't know how much your parents do, but my parents are always sending me YouTube videos and, and videos and inspirational quotes and things to read. Yeah. And so my dad is always sending in the group chat your videos. So <laughs> I think it's uh, really grateful for your wisdom. That's awesome, man. I love that. That's sweet. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So I know who you are. So for the audience who don't know who you are, can you give a bit of an elevator pitch synopsis about who you are, what you do and all that good stuff? Sure. So I think many people know me as the minority mindset on YouTube. Um, on YouTube, I talk about all things money. So from financial education to financial news, investing, how to start using your money the right way, how to save your money, invest your money and build wealth. These are things that I never grew up learning. I grew up, like you said, in a traditional Indian house. My parents are immigrants from a state in India called Punjab. And growing up, they gave me two options. You can study hard and be a doctor, or you can be a failure. You can pick which one you want. And, Wait, they, uh, didn't, they didn't give you a lawyer or engineer? They wasn't, it wasn't two, a 1A, it, it, it was only a doctor. Like, it, oh, my man. parents were so serious about it. We were actually joking about this with my cousin last night. 
that when I was in eighth grade, I was like 12 years old, my parents got me a tutor uh, for the MCAT, which is a test you take in college to get into medical school. So I was 12 yeah. years old, and then my parents like found this guy to help get me ready for medical school 10 years down the line. So that's how serious wow. they were about medicine and no other option. And then along that path of me thinking I'm going to be a doctor, I fell into entrepreneurship. I've always been like this entrepreneur, but I always did it in secret because my parents didn't like when I did something that wasn't academic. So I was like doing a bunch of little side businesses that were fun, making a little bit of money here and there. I started this event planning company in college where we used to host parties, concerts, and shows. Again, it was in secret. I took that money to then start investing in real estate. And it was a big learning curve for me because I didn't have you know, your quote-unquote mentors. The mentors that I had were the books that I read. I didn't know any investors. Uh, I didn't know what investing was. I never heard of real estate investing. I didn't know what dividends were or passive income. These were things that were completely foreign to me. And I'm like, I'm good in school. Like, I study hard in school. I've been through all this education. And I've never once learned a thing about investing, money management, building wealth, passive income. Yet we're working so hard in school so we can make a good income. And it just created this, like, real sense of confusion in me. So I just kept diving deeper and deeper into financial education. And then ultimately, I was like, all right, mom, dad, I'm not going to medical school. And they were very not happy with that. So that was when they said, uh, essentially, I mean, after a long, I mean, when I say long, I mean, like, over a year's worth of arguing, they were like, you have to at least become an attorney. Mm -hmm. And I was like... All right, well, I can sacrifice with that because the nice thing is, you know, if I go to law school, I could run my businesses full time and uh, go to law school part time. So that's what I did. I went to law school, became an attorney, never worked a day as an attorney. And uh, now I make YouTube videos, but I also have my own companies. Um, I have uh, the one that many people know of is Briefs Media. We have a free financial newsletter. Uh, We also have a free newsletter for entrepreneurs, business owners, founders. So all of our newsletters are free, and it's a way to keep our readers aware of what's happening in the markets for the investor newsletter. That way you can make better decisions with your money. And for entrepreneurs, it's keeping up to date on what's happening with business trends and innovation and funding. That way you can make better decisions in your business, and you can check that out at briefs.co. I love it. I love it, man. You know, uh, I feel like you've done a lot of interviews, so I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to the Let's conversation. I want to spice things up to make it make it fun. So I want to start college. What college did you go to? I went to the University of Michigan. Went to the University of Michigan in Ann yeah, Arbor. Ann Arbor, baby. What, what year? Um, I graduated high school in 09, and then okay. um, four years of undergrad, and then I did an additional year of, like, real estate development grad school certificate because I was like, this was in that time where I'm not going to medical school, but I couldn't be out in the real world not getting some sort of degree. So I did that kind of in the middle. So I graduated high school in 08. Oh, nice. My best friend, his name is Caleb Myrick. Shout out Caleb Myrick. Huge Michigan fan. Oh, no way. So 09, that's the Denard Robinson era, correct? Yeah. Oh, not and that, and that, and, but that was prequel to, I'm not sure how big of a Michigan fan you were, the Chad Henney, Mike Hart era. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, so, so you're in, you're in Michigan, Rich Rodriguez is head coach, it, 
football is huge in Ann Arbor, as you probably know it. Yeah. And so you said you started your um, your main entrepreneur journey, Hardy Planning. Yeah. So okay, so so break that down for the people. So you talked about college. Um, you know, in football, I was a big football person. I played football throughout high school. I played Position. football. Well, I started off as a cornerback, but I hated okay. running that much. So then I moved <laughs> to outside linebacker. And so that was like a great position for me because I loved being able to blitz. So that was like the spot for me. Um, but I go to college and I didn't know what to expect because no one in my family had been to college here in the United States. So I didn't really know what was going to happen. And I see everybody around me partying drinking and blowing money that they don't have and i was mind blown i didn't realize that people go to college to party like i had no idea and so i was like well i don't drink i don't party but i need something to do on friday nights and i was already in high school i started working in the wedding business so kind of backtracking on those entrepreneurial ventures when i was uh in high school maybe even late middle school i, I learned this drum called the toll it's a punjabi drum it's a native to the state where I'm from in India, my family. And I learned to play this drum. And uh, a DJ came up to me and he asked me if I w would like to make some money playing this drum at weddings. I was like, I don't know, I was in middle school at the time. I was like, sure. He was like, I'll pay you 50 bucks to come for an hour or two hours. I was like, oh, heck yeah. So I started doing that in middle school. And then in high school, I started to expand upon that a little bit more where I got to meet a lot of the other local DJs. And I started to up my rates. I was doing a little bit more uh, like a weekend hobby type of thing. And then towards the end of my high school career, I was 16, so probably a junior. My third year in high school, uh, one of the DJs had this idea that we could host teen parties for kids in my school at this local restaurant that was opening up. It was an Indian restaurant. They wanted exposure. They weren't going to charge us anything. They wanted exposure, so they let us host these parties and we could charge cover. I was like, well, all right, let's do it. So the DJ was the DJ. He brought the music and the sound. I just had to bring the people and we would spread the, the cover and the cover would cover our costs, like the security and whatever else we had to do. And so we made a little bit of money doing that. The first party was actually a flop. We had a lot of people there. But we didn't know how to manage our costs. I remember at the end of the night, this is like 3 in the morning, we're sitting in his car counting the cash, putting aside the cash for the expenses. And they were like, all right, let's count our profits. And we're like, one, two, three, four, four dollars. <laughs> so he gives me two dollars and he kept two. And that was the total profit we made in the first one. But it started to how grow. How old were you at that time? 16, maybe. Okay. okay. So, uh, you know, it was, it, it was a lot of work. But I was like, dang, like, what the heck? I made two bucks after... A month and a half of putting this together but then we did a couple more we made a little bit more money maybe a few hundred dollars per party so not a ton of money but it was something and then i was like all right i got to go to college i got to become a doctor so let's stop doing this so now i go to college and i see all these people drinking and partying and i was like well i need something to do on friday nights well i know how to host these parties people apparently love to party in college let me see if i can do something here so i, I got to college i was 17 and I started knocking on the doors of every bar, venue, restaurant uh, on campus trying to see who's going to let me host parties here. And Ann Arbor is a nice campus. And so some of these places are really high end. And I remember going to some of them and they were like, we need $10,000 as a deposit for you to host a party here. Now I'm 17. I was like, uh, that's not going to work. But I kept going because, you know, it was just like this random college kid trying to figure out 
how life works. And I found this club that was willing to let me host parties there without spending a penny. And they said, essentially, we'll split the cover. Whatever revenue I bring in, we'll split it 50-50. I said, okay, that works. And uh, now I had to get a DJ. Well, I needed to incentivize a DJ because I don't have like $500 or $1,000 to go pay a DJ for the night. So I found uh, a friend of mine who was a DJ, and he said, I'll do it for free. I'll just split whatever money you make. So now 50% of the cover goes to the club. 25% of the cover is going to go to the DJ. The other 25% would come in my pocket. So I was left with a very small amount of money in my pocket, but it was a way for me to get started. And this was kind of like that the way that I got into the party planning business, event planning business, uh, which then grew into more event planning. We did more than just parties. But that was my Friday nights, sometimes Thursday nights, sometimes Saturday nights. But I started doing this monthly, and then it grew to one of the biggest clubs on campus uh, contracted me to host their weekly college night every week. So like they had this huge flyer on the club and had my number and everything on it. And then in addition to that, I was also hosting my own regular monthly events. So it became kind of a full production, started off with this little idea. And then in addition to that, I was working at weddings like I was in high school. And so I would host an event Friday night. We would get done at 2 a.m., so Saturday morning now. Then we'd tear down, go get some food. And we'd usually go to Denny's. We'd get home by like 4 a.m. And then Saturday, now it's 4 a.m. Saturday. Saturday morning, like 8 a.m., we got to be setting up for a wedding four hours later because now we're working at weddings. And Saturday was also game day. So I didn't get to go to any games. I went to a quarter of one game in my entire time at University of Michigan, even though I'm a huge football fan because I was working on Saturdays. Um, And, you know, the fall season, which is when the football season is is like peak wedding season here so saturdays and i get to the uh, wedding early in the morning we would do the wedding ceremony and then get ready for the reception in the evening and then the reception would end maybe 11 p.m or midnight saturday night now sunday morning and then we tear down and get everything loaded back into the truck and then go home Go home Sunday and then start it back up on Monday. So that was kind of the routine in college. Wow, man. And then you were able to do this and still keep your grades up. Were the grades slacking? Were the grades still on point? The grades were okay. I mean, they weren't bad. <laughs> they were good. Like, I think the first couple of years it was hard because I was doing all the pre-med Wait, classes. was it American okay or Indian okay? What, 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 what's, what's definition? <laughs> so Indian, it was really bad. Like, I, I think I got like a... I don't know, maybe a three, four or something. Like, I don't know what it it was, something like that. It was okay. Um, But I took a lot of those pre-med classes in the first couple of years, and those were really hard. And so those were kind of tough. And then when I realized I didn't want to be a doctor, I stopped taking those classes. I did more of like business classes and things that interested me more. And I worked way less and got way better grades. So it was kind of funny how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, this is interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious because you shared that you went through a period of time where you realized, okay, I'm not going to go to med- medical school, talk to your parents. It's about a, a year riff. But then eventually your parents say, okay, as long as you go to law school, become a lawyer, we'll take that as a, you know, uh, as a complimentary prize, right? 
But then you also noted that you didn't practice law a day in your life. Is, yeah. am, I, am I correct by that? Yeah, yeah. So kind of funny how things went. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be an attorney or practice as an attorney. And so I think what you're asking is, like, you know, when did they kind of be okay with that shift? And Before that, before even that, I'm wondering if you didn't practice law, how were you making money at that time? Yeah, okay. So I was... I shut down the event planning company towards the end of college, even though I was making really good money because I hated the industry. I didn't drink. I wasn't into partying. And by the end of my time in college, I was just so sick and tired of working in this industry where it's like, I, I don't like this. Like it's so dirty. It's so grimy. This is not the place that I want to be. This is not where I want to associate myself. It's not for me because it was the only thing that I knew at the time. So it was the way that I got started. But by the end, even though I was making way more money now, I was making great money, but I was like, no, this is, this is not what I want to do. So I shut that down, and then I kind of went from business idea to business idea to business idea. Um, I started off in real estate. So my junior year in college, and I was still running my company, my event planning company, but then I got my real estate salesperson's license uh, my third year in college, and so I started doing that. I started wholesaling real estate when I was in college, I started an Amazon company. I just had a whole bunch of random things trying to see what else I could do because I, I started to really like this entrepreneurial thing. I just didn't know what that meant for me. And so now when I went into law school, I was working on another company. And in addition to that, I was also investing in real estate because this was at the bottom of the 2008 crash. So yeah. 2012 was when real estate prices were at rock bottom. And in Michigan, Real estate prices were selling for ninety cents, like ninety percent off, like ten wow. cents on the dollar. Sometimes five cents on the dollar. So homes that were worth a hundred grand were selling for five to ten grand. It was wow. insane. Yeah, yo. So, so you don't got to share. Wait, you don't want to share. <laughs> but I'm just curious. So you said that when you stopped your your event planning business, you got into real estate and Amazon, all different kinds of businesses. So did you have like a lump sum of money saved up from doing the business for X amount of years? Kind of. Uh, so I was starting to save up money, but then between my second year and my third year of college, I was studying for the MCAT and that's when I started reading books about real estate investing and I had no idea what that was. And that was when I made my first real estate investment. It was $8,000. It was a 1,000 square foot condo. And I bought that and rented it out for $600 a month. And I put in just a little bit of worth of work. And so when I saw that, I started doing that as fast as I could because I was like, this is insane. Like I've never heard of this type of cash flow, passive income type of thing before. I made a ton of mistakes, but I didn't really have much cash because I just started buying real estate. And uh, anytime I made a little bit of money, I would buy more real estate. So that was kind of like the flow is I would host a party, an event, or host a few of them and gather somewhere between $10,000 or so, and then take that ten grand and go buy some buy a property. 10000 an event? No, not an event. It would be multiple oh, events. I mean, there was only a couple events that we did that much. Yeah. Um, but most events were usually around... Uh, like the bigger ones, like around two grand. The weekly ones would okay. be a little bit less than that. So it was uh, about ten thousand a month. Well, okay. So let me see now. This has been a long time. 
So all we, in your pocket. So forgive me if it's yes. too intrusive. <laughs> so it was like when we did like a we would do like a big event about once a month. And that big event would net when I say big, I don't mean like huge. Big event would be like yeah. two grand that we would net. Uh the weekly ones would be less than that, maybe a grand, if I remember correctly. And then this would happen like during the school year, but then on top of that, we would also host like these special events, like there might be like concerts, or there might be like some sort of activity being done, some show, and then we would partner with them to do multiple things with them, whether it's hosting the show or hosting the official after party. Those were the big money makers. Um, those would sometimes like I think the biggest one we this is me and somebody else we net like 16 grand but then we split that so that was like the biggest one but it didn't start like that like this is like towards the end of course of course in the beginning it was like very little um in fact i lost money on the first one because i screwed that one up in college again but you know it kind of was like it it progressively got bigger because the network became bigger we were able to bring more people to uh, an event we just had more resources then like we got to the point where people would like just license me like uh an organization a student organization wanted to host a party they didn't know what to do so they would pay me like a flat fee just to put it together and me putting it together was like texting the club owner hey uh june 3rd can you lock that in for me yeah. done and it's like 500 dollars in my pocket for doing that. And then they'd pay me a DJ fee. I'd, if they pay me $500 for the DJ fee or whatever it was, I'd give the DJ half and I would keep half and then uh, be there at the events. You know, it was like little things like that that just kind of like contributed to the whole thing. So that's kind of how it worked. Um, so by the end of college, I didn't have like a ton of cash in my bank account because I owned real estate. How many um, properties did you have by the end of college? I think I had three. Oh, three, okay. I think I had three at the end of college, um, and they were all paid off because I bought them with no debt. Oh wow! Um, because yeah, they were cheap, right? So I was just I buying them as soon as I could get them. So the first one I bought for about eight grand. The second one I paid like thirteen to seven, seventeen maybe. That's thirteen, seventeen, and then the third one I paid maybe thirty-four, and then I. The third one was the one, it was like a nightmare deal. I just screwed everything up on that one. Like, I, it cost me a ton of money because that one, I just made every mistake possible. So I ended up losing a lot of money on the third one. But then after that, I started flipping. So then I got involved with um, real estate sales, became a real estate salesperson. And I started flipping real estate, not as an actual flipper, but as a wholesaler. So then that was like the next venture for me, like where I... Like the thing, I tried a bunch of things like Amazon FBA, made me a ton of money very quickly. And then we lost it all because the products we were selling were apparently counterfeit, which we didn't know. And we had to shut that business down. And then we had some extra inventory. So it was like, that was whatever we had. A bunch of other things which didn't really do much. Um, But the, the next big venture was my wholesaling venture. That was, uh, the year after college before law school and I took so because I was a real estate salesperson I you have to work under a broker I worked for a company called Keller Williams and the boss in my office the broker she was like you're really young to be here I was like oh thank you 
she's like, why are you here? I was like, oh, I like real estate. I want to be a real estate investor, not knowing what the heck that meant. She was like, oh, well, I teach real estate investing, blah, blah, blah. I teach this course or seminar. You can come for free. It's a typically like a $500 ticket. I'll let you in for free because you work here. I said, okay, cool. So I went there and uh, it was a three-day seminar where the people hosting it, her and some other people taught real estate wholesaling. At the end of the seminar, they then pitched a $3,500 course to learn how to wholesale real estate. And that was a lot of money then because now I had owned some real estate and I don't have that same income source that I did before. But I bought that course and I uh, went through it right away. And as soon as I went through it, this is like August. September, I closed $0 with the sales. October, 0. November, 0. December, 0. January was the first month that I closed my first deal. I ended up closing. I'm getting my numbers mistaken now. I got to write this down. But I, I, I think I closed two in January. I remember my first one. It net me 10 grand, which was huge. I was like, wow, man, finally. And then my next one wasn't as big. It was smaller. But then I closed another one in February. And I was like on a roll. And then I was like, you know what? I don't think this business is going to be scalable for what I want to do. I don't think it could scale the way that I want because it's like constantly me having to do this. And it was a ton of work on my end because like it was just me. And so I'm cold calling people. I'm trying to find the leads. I'm trying to find the buyers. I'm doing everything. And so it was a ton of work. I'm doing this while in school. So like I'm like constantly working. And um, so I was like, this is not, it doesn't have the scaling potential that I want. So then I shut that down and then I decided to go on the internet and I started working on the sock company, which I knew that I could sell online. I like built this technology where it was just like a water resistant athletic sock. And I worked with like this sock manufacturer and a textile engineer to put this sock together. We created the sock and now I go to law school and I launched this in the first year of law school. And I also bought some more real estate along the way. Forget how many now, but I was buying bought some more deals, and uh, so now I'm in law school and working on the sock company. And then the same thing, like the sock company, when I launched, we had a really successful launch. I got I got scammed during the launch, but we had still a very successful launch. And because I got scammed, I decided to put out this class on. Udemy, which was much smaller back then, on how to launch a business without getting screwed over. It was like a $7. So you said you got scammed. What do you mean you got scammed? So there was a marketing company that came up to me and they said, Jaspreet, we'll get you all this traction, all these sales, blah, 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 on your launch for your company. And I was a little hesitant because I like marketing. That's like what I really enjoy. And then they were like, don't worry, we have a 100% money back guarantee. If you are not 100% satisfied, we'll give you all your money back. I said, okay. So I gave them um, a few thousand dollars, however much it was. Um, and then the next, literally the next day, before they had started doing any advertising, I was in the gym and I had a really bad feeling for some reason. I was like, I just, I want to do it myself. Like, I don't feel right handing it off to someone else. So I called them up and I said, hey, man, like, um, I don't want to continue with this. Let's just end it here before you guys spend any money in advertising. Can you return the money? He said, yeah, sure. Give me a minute. 
puts me in hold for a long time. And I remember this because I was doing the chest flies and I was like messing up my workout because I was on hold so long. And then eventually the line goes beep and that was the last I heard of him. Like I called all the other numbers. I couldn't call him back. And so I lost my money on that. And so the launch, the sock company did really well. Uh, Like we did, man, I I don't know all the numbers, but it was around a little bit over $20,000 worth of sales in the first month because we had like built up a large social media following and then we like promoted it on Instagram. So we didn't pay any money. Like we lost that money in marketing, but the sales that came in were organic just from our own social media. Like that was all Instagram, which was amazing. I'm confused. Like, I'm so sorry. Like why socks? Like where where did socks come into this equation? Okay. So if we back up now, so now this is in law school, right? If we back up now to that year between college and law school, I took a class on, um, it was like public speaking of some sort. And one of the projects was essentially like a shark tank thing where you have to pitch a project to the class as if the class were investors. So kind of like shark tank. And I put this off. I procrastinated. I did that a lot when I was in college and I was really late to class one day and I picked up my bag. I started running because I was late and it happened to be raining that day. And on the way, I stepped in a puddle. I got to class. My feet are soaked. And mm. now the teacher's like, just breathe this your day to present. Like, you're talking about present what? And I was like, oh. So I stand up in front of class. And this is a true story. Like, I didn't know what to present. Like, I'm in front of class now. My heart's beating. I'm like, <laughs> like he burning up. And I was like, well, think of something. And the first thing on my mind was the wet socks that I had. So I started pitching this, like, water-resistant sock that's breathable that regular people can wear. So I went after I said, made the pitch, I sat down. I was like, it's kind of a cool idea. That'd be really cool (laughs) to have something like that. So that's where the idea started. And then I'm one of those guys a little bit less now, but especially then where it's like, I have an idea. I just do it like ready, fire, aim 100%. Like I I would just do it and then think about whether it's a good idea later. And so I just kind of like went for it. I started calling manufacturers, started Googling what is a sock manufacturer, where can you find them? What, who produces yarn? How are socks made? Like, I had no idea. And so, you know, you just start Googling things and you start calling random people and these random people refer you to somebody else. Like, I, I found the sock manufacturer that I work with through a random form on a website. Like, this guy, like, answered somebody else's question about something about socks and he put his name there and his company. And then I looked up that company and I found his number and I called him there. Like, it was like... Not what, like, I didn't like go Google sock manufacturer and found somebody there because all the people that I found were like, you need to order 10,000 socks. Like, I don't have money for that. So you just, you know, you just kind of work things out in that way. So that was how that process started and launched in the first year of law school. And kind of all that stuff happened. Then I went on to Udemy, put out this program on how to launch a business without getting screwed over. For seven dollars, had a ton of support. And again, this was more of like a hobby because now I'm working on the sock company, which is making money, mm-hmm. and I'm making money here that I can then use to go buy real estate. So that was the funnel. I'm making money somewhere, and then I'm buying real estate with the money that I make because I'm living like I'm broke. Like I was making good money, but my apartment was less than four hundred dollars a month, and that covered not only the rent but my parking. And it also included my gas, my heat, my water, my electricity, my internet, 
because I didn't have a room. I slept on the living room floor. Like I had a mattress that I would drag into the hallway and throw it down and sleep on it, fold the sheets and put it back in the hallway in, in the morning because I kind of realized that yeah, this is what I need to do if I want to become financially successful is I got to make money somehow and put that money into real estate. Like that was kind of the funnel that I had created. Yo, what's good, everybody? We're going to take a quick pause from this week's amazing episode to talk to you guys about our amazing sponsors over at Skillshare. Guys, Skillshare is a real A1 day one from the roommates, and we absolutely love Skillshare because they are a unique online learning community where men and women can learn all types of creative and entrepreneurial skills. Man, so many men for the past years in the roommates have been learning, have been blossoming, have been transforming from Skillshare because not only do you get the first month free to test it out, but Skillshare has such a vast library of courses, of resources that you guys can be able to tap into today. Go to Skillshare.com slash roommates and take advantage of this opportunity. Guys, on the podcast, we meet so many amazing men and women who are so talented, but they didn't get their skills overnight. They had to master these things and Skillshare gives you all the resources that you can be able to master your best self and tap into your full potential. So do not delay. Get on Skillshare today. Go to Skillshare.com slash roommates. Trust me, you'll thank us later. And let's get back to this week's episode. You, you, you don't have to give me the exact numbers if you don't want to, but in regards to how much percent of your expenses I'm oh, sorry. How much percent of your income were your expenses at that time? Uh, 10%. Wow. Maybe so less. 90% was 90. Was it, were you doing like 45% saving 45% investment? Or I the saved whole 90%? nothing. I was oh, putting all, back all into investment. real estate. Maybe okay, I had wow. a, maybe I had a little bit of savings, like a, a couple grand or something. But yeah, I mean, it, my whole thing was, I'll put that money into real estate first. And then, so I mean, like, I don't want to say, like, I wasn't, I didn't have any savings. Like, I had something, like, you know, the real estate would make rent, that money would sit there. So, I mean, there was cash that was there, but it wasn't, like, a ton. Like, it wasn't like I had, like, 30 grand just sitting there. It was... How much was sitting there? Like, three to five, five to ten? Probably three to five. Okay, okay. So okay something. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, but the main thing for me was, I'm trying to build up the cash so I can go and buy a property. Like, that was... The yeah. whole system, like like it would grow. Once it grows big enough, I'm gonna look for uh, a house or something for me to buy. And so that was the funnel that I was the the system that I did. And then I started uh, this the class, and I did it under the alias minority mindset. The whole idea being you have to think differently than the majority of people, uh, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur. So the class people really enjoyed it, and they were like, "Can you start an Instagram page?" I said, sure. So I started an Instagram page called Minority Mindset, posting similar stuff about entrepreneurship and financial education, just things that I wish that I learned because like nobody was there to tell me like what to do or to say it's okay or to say that it is possible. Like this was things that like I had to like fight and fight and fight to do because my parents were the 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 only time my parents switched and joined my side after, so they didn't know that I was working on the sock company. And um, we were, we, we had the really good launch that I was telling you about. And the news, the local news here actually picked it up. And oh, wow. so they did a story on me. And so my parents got a call from one of their friends and they said, hey, we just saw your son on the news. 
They were like, what? What did he do now? Like thinking that I did something really bad. They're like, no, he has like this business and it's doing really well. And that's when my parents were like, what? Like they knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but they never believed that it was possible. And then when they heard that, they were like, what the heck? They're like, what are you doing? So then they were like, okay, fine. Like you can do it. Like we approve of it. And they were actually kind of, that's when they started to become supportive was when they started to see some of the success. And so that's when things completely flipped. And so, you know, I started uh, then the Instagram page for Minority Mindset. And that's when people were saying, hey, can you please start a blog with more in-depth content that we can watch? I'm oh, so, read. so, so sorry. What year was this when you started the? What year did you start the sock company? And what year did you start the, um, the Instagram page? Oh, man. Uh, so the sock company launched my first year of law school. Instagram page, maybe my second year of law school. I don't know. Something like that. Second, was it like, like 20, 2013, 14? Yeah, something around there. I, I don't remember the exact dates. So then I do the Instagram page for a while. And people are saying, um, can you start a blog? And my whole thinking was, well, English is my second language. I'm not the best writer. So no, you don't want me to start a blog because you're not going to like it. But I was like, I can talk. So... I think it was like the tail end of 2015. I made a, my first YouTube video and I made it okay. off of my phone um, in front of a white wall. Like I didn't have any fancy equipment. I, I think I spent 25 bucks on a tripod from Amazon. And maybe, th this is still a maybe. I don't remember. Uh, I might have spent another $25 on a light. But that was it. Like there was no editing equipment, no audio equipment, no camera equipment. No lighting, fancy stuff, like less than a hundred bucks. And I made my first video off my phone and um, I published it. And it was kind of like sporadic. And I kind of enjoyed it as like a hobby. Like I didn't do it for money purposes because I was busy with the sock company. And so that was when March 1st, 2016 was when I decided now I'm going to continue making YouTube videos because this is fun. Like I, I like this. So I started making videos on YouTube and our channel starts to grow and around the point where like, oh man, in the early tens of thousands of subscribers, something between 10 to 30,000 subscribers, a friend comes up to me and this is before you had any monetization requirements on YouTube. This is before like, like you could monetize any YouTube channel with any number of subscribers, any number of views, like there was no requirements. Mm -hmm. And he asks me, Jasprit, how much money are you making from YouTube? Like, what are you talking about? He was like, you know, your YouTube advertisements, how much money are you making? Like, what are you talking about? And so he's like, you know, you can make money from your ads. I was like, I have no idea. So he goes on to my YouTube channel backend with me. He's like, dude, if you just click this button, you're going to turn on monetization and you can start making money for the videos that you're making. I was wow. like, no way. Let's click it. So <laughs> we clicked that button. Like, that's like, I, I really just started Minority Mindset because like, I never had that sort of like support or any sort of education. I mean, I read books, but that was like it. And I was like, this is like, I, I wish there was somebody like me for me back then. And so that's why I started making the videos. And then slowly the channel started to grow. And that was when like I had to make a decision, you know, do I continue with the sock company, which is profitable, but our patent had just gotten denied. Do I want to build a sock company? 
or do I want to try to do something else like this new venture? Now, at this point, I've become a little bit more like financially stable. I own a decent portfolio of real estate. Uh, we have, you know, I, I'm doing good now financially. And at this point, I was like, well, when I'm 65 and I look back, what will I have more fun with or what will I be happier with? Like educating and doing something that's really fun or building a sock company? I was like, uh, I think I'll be more on the, the educating side. Like, I don't know where it's going to go. And so that's what I did. I slowly kind of phased out the sock company and then dove into minority mindset. And slowly the channel started to grow. And then I used the channel to kind of build up other things. Like one is uh, briefs.co, market briefs, which is our free financial newsletters. Uh, we launched When did it. you start that? I started that during the pandemic. Uh, because, well, I started it because when the pandemic hit, a lot of craziness started happening in the markets, the financial markets, the stock market and everything. And I started making videos daily because there was just so much stuff happening and it was a way to help keep people more informed as to what was happening in the markets. But there was so much happening that I was like struggling doing everything. So I asked my team then I said, Hey, can you guys send me like a daily briefing of what's happening? in the markets and they started doing that. That way I had now my basis of the things that I can talk about in videos. And I was like, this is really cool. Like, I wonder if my audience would be interested in getting this email. I was like, let's call it the minority mindset mindset newsletter, like, completely not creative, but it was just like a random thought. So that's what I did. I said, Hey, if you guys want daily briefings, just change uh, updates on the news, check out the minority mindset newsletter. And that started to grow slightly and there was a lot of interest, and the people that did subscribe really liked it. And then um, into later into 2021, I was like, well, this is growing, and people like this. How about I turn this into its own thing? So we decided to rebrand the Minority Mindset Newsletter into the Market Briefs Newsletter. And then um, in 20, early 2022, we launched it as the Market Briefs Newsletter, and we kind of reformatted it, made it much nicer, much more value-packed, created a whole system for it, and it just made, made it much more better. And that launched, and then that same year, now in 2022, that became Briefs Media, because now we have also launched Business Briefs, which is uh, a version of the newsletter for entrepreneurs and business owners. This is also free. And so it's just like a way to kind of provide value and the way that we make money here is we have uh, native advertisements. We have sponsorships that go in the newsletter. And it's a small piece of the newsletter, but now our ads team, because our newsletter has grown, is working to sell advertisements and sponsorships in the newsletter, which allows us to keep it free for our readers. So built that, um, built an app. How many people, how many people are on the, on the, on the newsletter? How many, uh, how many? A couple hundred thousand. Okay. And uh, so we keep our newsletter actually very tight. So we have about 50% of people open our newsletter every day. And so we keep... Uh, Daily? Wow, that's really impressive. Yeah. So we keep our newsletter uh, very tight in that sense. And um, I also launched an app called Market Insiders, which is... So essentially... 
If you go to Minority Mindset, you can watch a bunch of content for free. But if you're looking for some sort of financial coaching, well, then Market Insiders is a way to give you some of that for $27 a month. So for people who are looking for some additional help and they want some coaching from people who do this type of group coaching, we have stock, real estate, and cryptocurrency coaching that happens there. And now we're working to expand that to offer an even higher level of service to people who want more of like wealth consulting and, and stuff which hasn't launched yet. So that's something that's in the works. Um, I've also worked now, it's kind of funny, I don't work as an attorney, but through my years of working with attorneys and knowing a lot of attorneys, people have been asking, how do I get in touch with some of the attorneys that you know? How do I find a good business attorney? How do I find a good estate planning attorney? How do I find this and that? And I got so many of these requests that I built out this, and it's still really rudimentary of just like attorney referral service where um, I get, I mean, so many requests I mean, every day that I build out the service where it's literally, uh, you fill out this form and then somebody from my team will refer you to an attorney. So we have that as well. And if you're looking for how do you do that, by the way, just go to my Instagram, Minority Mindset. And if you click the link in the bio, one of them is the attorney referral service. So if you're looking for an attorney, <laughs> you can find one there. Oh, definitely. No, no, no. Really appreciate you sharing all this. I feel like the the the... the... To me, I'm most fascinated by the origin story of each individual. I know for some people that may be the, the boring parts of the movie. To me, it's really important because it sets the foundation to the ideology, the, philo the philosophies, and the way the advice is best practical for people. So now that we went, you know, big picture origin story, let's, let's, let's laser in into practical information. One of the things that you shared the most about that I love so much that you communicated was really the minority mindset. And I love how you're redefining the minority mindset. As I told you, I'm Nigerian. I feel like Nigerians, Indians, you know, um, um, a lot of Chinese, different, you know, um, Persians, all of us from, you know, who are not Westerners, we had, we grew up a very similar way. And the mindset of the, those minorities were go to school, get a good job, work the job, retire. That's life. That, and that's the only thing our parents knew. And, it's, and sometimes it's easy to demonize the, um, the previous generation, but that's all they knew, right? They build the house with the tools that they had. So I love so much what you're doing because you're teaching a new mindset for minorities and all types of people to be able to truly build wealth in a modern society because the world that our parents grew up in is not the world that's going on today. So I know you've given a lot of different pieces of, of, of advice. But when you think about the most important mindset that's required to building wealth that has benefited you the most today, what would you say is that number one mindset in your opinion? Being okay, being stupid. And it's going to sound weird, but um, I think me being okay, being stupid was the single thing that allowed me to do what I do. Um, see, like, every time I wanted to do something different, the most common initial reaction is, dude, you're so stupid. Why would you want to do that? Like, why would you want to host parties? You're so stupid. Why would you want to invest in real estate at the bottom of the real estate cycle? Like, everybody's lost everything in real estate. You know, I, I talked to you about some of these real estate deals. There was a lot of people in college, especially at U of M, who had way more money than I did 
who had way more access to money than I did. None of them were buying real estate. Everybody had access to the same deals that I did, but I was stupid enough to start buying them. There is one of those things where just being willing to try things. There's a book called The Power of Your Subconscious Mind, and it talks about this thing called the power of dumb belief. And essentially what it means is if you believe something fully enough, like if you believe it bad enough, like you're going to find a way to make it possible. And for me, like I knew somehow that I wanted to become successful as an entrepreneur. Like I, I fought hard to be an entrepreneur, to be able to do something different. Nobody was there like, just be this going to be okay. Nobody was telling me that. I had to go and figure it out myself. And I did a lot of it in secret while going to school, while trying to manage everything else. So for me, it was something that I really, really, really wanted. But because I believed it, it allowed me to like, like if I knew all the stuff that I had to go through, if I knew all the, the, the you know, the, the punches, the, the crap you have to deal with in order to do this, like maybe I wouldn't have done it. But if you still sit there and keep thinking about the hurdles, the obstacles, everything that could go wrong, you're never going to go anywhere. Especially in the beginning, you just got to, like, for me, it was that ready, fire, aim, do something, even if it's wrong, screw up, see where you screwed up, and then fix it. Just constantly keep doing something, because if you're just sitting there thinking about things, you're not going anywhere. But if you're doing, at least you're learning, at least you're getting experience. And I made a ton of mistakes. My first event planning company, my first event in college was a flop. It was, uh, everything went wrong. My first event in high school, things went, I mean, we made two bucks. My first, uh, my third real estate deal, I lost a ton of money. I even made a video on, on YouTube, my worst real estate deal ever. I walked you through every wrong thing that happened. It was horrible. I'd lost a ton of money, but that set me up for way bigger deals, way more profitable deals because I learned a decade's worth of real estate in one deal. I lost a lot of money, but that was my tuition that I had to pay. Because again, you know, like if you're coming from this where you don't have real estate investors to guide you, you don't have entrepreneurs, rich uh, people who around you that have already done it to tell you what to do, you're going to have to figure it out. And the way you figure it out is you, the way you figure it out is by doing a bunch of things wrong. And until you do those things wrong, you're never going to be able to do the things right. And so you got to be willing to just start, do things and screw up. I'm not perfect. I don't do everything right. I still do things wrong. I'm learning every single day. I'm not where I want to be. I'm always trying to grow. But it's one of those things where being willing to try. And I've always been that person where, you know, you call me stupid. That probably means I'm doing something right. And mm -hmm. it's one of those things where you just got to be okay being a little bit different. And then yeah. if we talk about, I know it's getting a little bit longer for the short question that you asked, but it's the same thing when people talk about money. What's the easiest way to become more financially secure? Be okay being stupid. Like like having a beat-up car when all of your friends are driving the nice Mercedes or the BMWs or the nice Toyotas. They got the new cars, and you're driving a, a run-down car because you bought it cash, and now you don't have a car payment, but you're investing that money that you would have put towards your car payment. You sacrifice some vacations today, and everyone's like, dude, what the heck is wrong with you? Live your life. YOLO, what are you talking about? And now you're taking that eight grand that you would have put towards that Cancun vacation and you're putting it towards your future. You live smaller now for a few years. That way you can live the rest of your life way bigger and financially free. Everyone's going to think you lost your mind. 
But once you get to the other side, everyone's going to ask, how did you do it? Everyone's going to wonder, what's the secret? What's the shortcut? Or what scam did you do to get to where you are? Right? And this is one of those things where you can't bypass that sacrifice, but you're going to look stupid when you're making it. That's that's really powerful. I remember I'm reading Principles by Ray Dalio, and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm probably butchering this quote, but he said, bad times plus great, sorry, bad times plus good reflections equal great results. And I love what you're saying because, you know, by being stupid and making bad decisions, but reflecting and learning from it, you're able to then get great results in the future. And I absolutely love that. So I, I'm, I'm thinking right now, like I'm typical viewers like I just want I want the 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 the, the spicy stuff I, I want I want the juice right I want to know how to be rich right so so for the people who are listening in like oh I, I love the story I, I love the mindset but I want to know how can I get rich today what is your advice for the average male who wants to get rich in society how does he do it well for the average person I would not say go out and start a business because entrepreneurship is hard and it's not for everybody. I used to think that everybody can be an entrepreneur. And then I try to push some of my friends who are not entrepreneurial at all to become entrepreneurs. I even convinced some of them to quit their jobs where they made good money to start to start a business. It was an epic failure, which is when I learned not everybody can be an entrepreneur. So if we talk about the average person, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you got to spend less than what you make. So whatever money you're making, you got to spend less than that. The simplest thing to do is follow something like a 75-15-10 plan, which says that for every dollar that you earn, 75 cents is the maximum you spend, 15 cents is the minimum you invest, 10 cents is the minimum you save. Take that 15 cents that you're uh, investing now and you want to put this money to work. Where do you do that? Well, it can be stocks, it can be real estate, it can be startups, it can be a bunch of different things. Stocks and real estate are probably the two most common. And the nice thing now in today's economy is you can start investing your money with as little as $1, literally. This was not the case 10 years ago or 20 years ago. This is a, like the last decade has allowed people to invest money with very little upfront cash, which is great news. But it's also a big risk because these tools, without the education, can create financial disasters. Like there was a story of people on Robin Hood who started trading on margin because they kept hearing of people getting rich. And then he ended up hundreds of thousands of dollars negative. Way mm. more money than what he makes in a year. Way more money than what he expected to make in a decade. And now uh, he ended up taking his life because of how hurt he was to see his account in the negative now there's different stories and different things that happened some people said that it was an error on robin hood's part the reality is the kid died and there's other people who end up in such a deep financial hole that they just it really screws people up financially so you have the tool which is our apps now which allow people to invest but we need the financial education and the tools are great but without the education they they can become Well, it's a double-edged sword, right? It can slice you both ways. And if you don't have that education, then it can hurt you. So the tools are the apps that let you invest. There's apps that let you invest in the stock market. And even if you want to invest in real estate, but you don't want to manage a property or buy a whole property, there's apps that will let you get exposure to real estate deals 
with as little as the lowest I've seen is $10. So anybody can start investing. Now, the reason why it's important, even if you don't have a ton of money, is because of the power of compounding and time. The example that I love giving, which really stuck with me, was if at 21, you start investing $4 a day and you stick with that $4 a day investment, which is just around $100 a month, uh, you will retire a millionaire, assuming that you can get an average stock market return. If you get an average 10% return a year, it doesn't mean you have to grow by 10% every year, but you will retire a millionaire if you invest $4 a day from the day you turn 21 until 66. And it shows you the power of small, consistent returns. So you start with whatever you have, you stay consistent, and you keep putting your money to work. And you don't change that unless you want to be more involved or unless you see the markets go down because that's when you want to come and buy even more. You don't sell, you buy more. <clears throat> so this is where it's building a system where you're constantly investing your money. And there's so many ways to do that. You don't have to go out and invest in individual companies. Look into ETFs. Like You can look into ETFs to give you exposure to the S&P 500, the biggest 500 companies in the stock market where now literally there are apps that will automatically pull this money out of your checking account when you get paid and invest this money into a fund that will give you exposure to hundreds of the biggest companies in the stock market. It's no time when you're inside. I mean, it takes you 20 minutes to set it up, but then you never have to worry about it again. And this money will just slowly work to compound and build you wealth. And for the average person, that's the best way to do it. So let's say those people are like, man, Jasper, 66 is a long time. I'm trying to get that 40. I'm trying to get there maybe 35. Like, so for the people who are, who are hearing what you're saying, they're like, man, that's, that takes too long. What is a more expedient way of doing it? How would you respond to that kind of statement? The first thing then is, well, you could put more money to work. The more money you invest, the faster you would get there. The second thing is, there's three things. Second thing is you can work to earn more money. So if you are making 40 grand, you're living off of 30, you're investing 10. Well, if you can make 50 grand and live off of 30, well, now you can invest 20. Or if you can up that to 400 grand, well, now you can start investing a whole lot more. Now you might be saying, but just how in the world am I going to go from 40 to 400? Well, it goes back to what we've been talking about. First is the power of belief. Believing is possible for you. Because once you believe it's possible, now you're going to start researching it. And this kind of ties into the third thing that I want to talk about is creating more income. And so this is where now, how can you earn more income? Because now we talked about how to use your money the right way. You spend less than what you make, you invest the difference. That's the secret to wealth. Now, if you want to become more aggressive, is you need more money to invest. Well, how can you get more money? You got to earn more money. So if you want to work a job, look at new certificates, get a different type of position, see if you can earn more money at a job, maybe look for a sales position, add on another job where you can increase the amount of income that you can make. If you don't see that potential there, then maybe you look at creating your own income. Maybe now you look at looking into entrepreneurship, starting your own business, starting a side hustle, starting your own thing. Maybe you can earn more money because now the, there's no limit to how much money you can make. It's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. But if you're really committed to it, well, now you can start looking for those opportunities. Where do you start? Start by watching YouTube. There's so many free videos out there. Watch as many YouTube videos as you can. Then start reading books. Buy whatever books you can on business. 
whatever ideas you can. Then you're going to see a bunch of different ideas that you're going to have, and maybe you're going to want to take a few classes. Start doing it. Take some classes. If you don't know which class to take, take more classes, and it's going to take an investment on your part. But most people don't go broke by investing in their education. So <laughs> be willing to invest in your own education and be willing to do. Because if you're one of those people that's just constantly consuming, 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 well, you're not going to go anywhere unless you actually do something with the information that you're consuming. So then you no, do true. and you keep investing. That's really good. Um, now, it's, it's really interesting. And we can go two ways with this conversation. Um, I haven't decided yet. Maybe by the end of the sentence, I will decide our direction. <laughs> but what I found is a lot of people will watch content on the Internet that promises instant wealth, right? You know, you know, get my Amazon course. You'd be making $30,000 a month just like me. Look at my receipts, right? Like it promises instant wealth. So I feel like you have a generation of people who want to become financially free, want to build wealth, but they want kind of this candy land yeah. shortcut path to get there. And when an individual like yourself is giving very practical, tangible paths to success, and just being honest about the long, difficult journey in which it will take, most people are not as receptive to that kind of messaging. And so one of the biggest challenges I've noticed is that I feel like at times people are not as honest with different people about their desires yeah. with their efforts, right? Like, like if you want to retire early, which only 1% of the 1% get to do, do you, are you putting in that level of effort? So have you seen a disconnect between what people want financially and what kind of work people are willing to do? 100%. But that's, that's the case across the board, across cultures, across people, across everything. And unfortunately, that's what leads to so many get-rich-quick scams and schemes or people selling this hype and idea, the six-step system to six figures. I mean, it's a bunch of crap. Uh, when I say investing in your education, I mean investing in a few things, right? First is, what is the thing that you're learning? Amazon FBA can make you successful. Is it the best business model long-term? No, but it can make you an extra stream of income. It can make some people a lot of money. Now, this is where you got to be able to decipher the noise. Who is this teacher that's teaching you? Is it somebody who's actually doing it? Are they good? And what are they selling? Are they selling something that you could actually potentially do? And if so, are you willing to put in the work? Because if you're buying the dream without the actual effort, you're never going to get anywhere. And so, you know, like there's things like that, the Amazon FBAs and whatever else, which are just ways for people to earn an additional stream of income, which can be okay. But for 95% of people, they're going to lose money on that program. For 5% of people, they might make a ton of money. Now, you got to be honest with yourself. Are you one of those 5% of people? Maybe it's 10 who's going to put in the work to do whatever it takes to go through the education and actually do it. If yes, by all means, go ahead. If no, take that cash and put it into the market and there'll be a better investment for you. Now, if you want to build something more scalable, my advice now is, is not to do like the little income stream things but actually try to build something of your own because here's the problem with things like the amazon fbas it's not a sale sellable business it's not a business 
because you're selling somebody else's stuff on somebody else's platform. And if you were to be any good and take any sort of significant market share, you're selling, I don't know, coasters and you're any good. And Amazon, whose platform you're on, says, oh, this person is selling a ton of coasters. What are they doing? Amazon has all your data and they're going to make the same coaster and sell it for 25 cents less than you. And they'll be able to price you out very quickly. So it's not scalable because you can't control or create anything. So this is the difference between earning an income, like just creating some side income, which is fine if that's your goal, and actually building a business. Now, building a business is creating something of your own and then being able to monetize this thing that you create, people actually buying what you sell. And in order to do that, you know, you might have to go through a lot of different classes. You might have to go through a social media marketing class. How do you grow on Instagram? You might have to go through an SEO class. How do you go on SEO? And sometimes what you're going to see is these people are going to sell you that same dream. Get rich with Instagram growth. But, you know, there's a lot of fluff in there. What you want to realize or learn is how do you use Instagram in a business and how do you grow your Instagram? Then same thing with SEO. How do you grow the SEO? How do you grow your email marketing? How do you now sell a product? How do you sell people? How do you build a sales team? Like there's so many different aspects to building a business, but then you ultimately need a product that's providing value as well. So one that's of the things that we do is good. value first, just lead with value. And then, you know, you, you will learn along the way, but you have to be willing to learn. No, this is super good. And, and I think, I think to me, that's why I, I'm, I'm just so excited. I wish we could be hanging out in person so I can give you a hug. <laughs> but like the reason why I love your message so much is that so many people prey on the insecurities and yeah. the emotion, the emotionality of people today, especially when it comes to money. And people are not really as honest about what does it take to create lasting businesses? Because I've been reading a lot of business books this year. I've been really reprogramming my mind to understand business better. Recently finished, you know, Traction by John Wickman and Great also books, yeah. um, finished the E-Myth and amazing books. And, and one of the things I realized is that like most people don't have businesses. Yeah. Right. Like if, if, if it's not a well-functioning system and machine that can be franchised, like you don't have a business. If you're not selling a valuable product that can't just become a commodity and be outpriced by a Walmart or Amazon or, or anybody else, you don't really have a legitimate business. And so to me, I just love what you're communicating because so many people don't talk about these things, right? Mm -hmm. They don't they don't share these ideas. They're sharing all these different get rich quick schemes and open this and do this laundromat or do this, you know, uh vending machine and not really talking about like what is a legitimate business and yeah. how can an individual create a franchisable business? Exactly. And you know, there's a, a good book for that. I think it's called Built to Sell. How do you build a sellable business? Because you want to, I mean, if you want to really build a business, you need to build something where you can kind of pluck yourself out and hire somebody else in there. And this is where understanding if you weren't able to work, what would happen to the business? And, you know, otherwise you just bought yourself a job. That's not necessarily mm. a bad thing. You know, you can make a great income doing that. I mean, you can make a million dollars a year doing that, maybe even more. But you're not going to have a real business, which is a little bit different, where now you can hire a new CEO if you can grow. I mean, I know this, it's hard to get to a million dollars a year. It's not easy. But you can hire a CEO 
you can hire somebody to run it, and now you can kind of sit back and just kind of lead some of the the ideas and let somebody else run the company. Like that's a business if you can do that. Now, you don't have to do that. You can run it if that's what you enjoy doing, but it gives you that flexibility. And then when you can do that, you can sell the equity to somebody else. That's where the value of a business is where let's just say you're making a million dollars a year and you don't have to be the person running it. Now you can hire a CEO and if you're still making a million dollars of profit, well, now you can sell this business to somebody else for maybe $10 million. You're selling the equity for $10 million. Now the new owner, they're not going to run the company, but they just want the profits. And they might help guide the CEO and give resources to the company to help grow it. But that's a different mindset than I'm going to go sell some stuff on Amazon or I'm going to yeah. go do you know whatever where you're just trying to create an extra income. They're both good but you got to figure out what it is that you want. Man, I, if you, I know you probably have videos about this, and, I, and, I, and, and if you do, please send it to me so I can share with everybody that I know. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest lesson I learned this year, the difference between building a business and building a new job, right? Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think, like, what I'm doing is building a business. No, you're just building another job for yourself. And not really understanding, like, act in actuality, like, what it entails for a business, a business structure to exist, to be able to have different individuals who are working on the in, on the business, so you can work. So you don't have to just simply be just another technician who's doing a day to day task. Like you, the question that you asked, I love it. If you're not there, does the business still last in a month? You know, yeah. that's, a, that's the quickest way to know if you have a job or a business. If you're yeah. not there for a month, can the business, can the machine keep going? And so, I mean, I was loving every single thing that, that you were saying. And so one of the things as you were talking about wholesaling and people talk about this idea of passive income, I'm very curious to how you define passive income because sometimes I feel like the passive income is kind of uh, a word that's not clearly represented because... To, to the point that I found in real estate investments, like you, you still have to kind of at times manage your property, especially initially when you don't have enough money to be a property manager. So I think there's this understanding where people feel like, oh, I'm going to invest in real estate. I'm going to buy these multiple properties. And all of a sudden, like there's going to be no level of management or responsibility with it. How do you invest in real estate and, and not make that an additional job? Because I found a lot of people who get into real estate and wholesaling, they think it's supposed to be passive income, but it's actually a second, if not third job. How do you build that real estate, or how did you build that real estate company so that it's not th- the job? Well, wholesaling is definitely not passive. Wholesaling is very active. Where you have to find leads, uh, and you have to enter into contract to buy them and find a buyer. Like, it's very active. But real estate investing, where now you buy a property, you rent it out, and you own it, and the rent, the tenant pays the rent, that can be much more passive, but you have to have the right team. And what you said was 100% spot on, where in the early stages, it's not passive. Like for me, it was anything but passive, because I, I literally had no idea what I was doing, and I made every mistake possible, and I even had a property management company. Mm. And it it was just so bad because one, I hired a bad property management company. Then second, I bypassed the property management company to move in a tenant even faster because I had a bad property management company. Now my tenants didn't want to deal with the property management company. They wanted to deal with me. 
And so it was a huge mess. And I mean, and it was a, just a bunch of problems. But this is where now it's a very different game, where I have a whole team. When I find a property, I I am a licensed real estate salesperson. But what I do is I'll find the property that I want. I have brokers sending me deals. I'll go to it myself because I can show it to myself. And then when I want to make an offer, I don't write the offer myself. I call up, he's a friend of mine. Uh, he's an agent. He does investment deals. And I say, on my drive home, hey, uh, I want to make an offer at this property for this price, this contingency, whatever. By the time I get home or to my office, the offer's already sitting in my inbox. And I just got to sign it, review it. Then once that's done, once we get into contract, I know, like I have my whole team built out. I know who exactly I need to call or I need to text. And I'll say, hey, can you meet me at this property? We want to do the due diligence. We want to walk through the property. We want to get a, a, a quote. We want to get an inspection done. Whatever we got to do, I'll let my property managers know. They'll contact the city. They'll do all the paperwork. If the deal goes through, now if, if I need to do renovations, my contractor knows exactly what to do. My management company may or may not, depending on the deal, manage the repairs or the renovations, depending on how involved it is. Uh, but once it's done, I hand over the keys to the management company and they know exactly what to do from there. And I don't know anything that really happens from then on. Like I get a monthly report and I get a quarterly report and I review that. But I don't really do much else day to day. But it took me years to build the team, to meet the people, to learn how to do it and to learn how to do it the right way and learn how to do it profitably because I went through a lot of headache to get there. Yeah. Now, this is super powerful. And, and the part that I'm loving so much about your message is people don't hear that story, right? No one, when people are selling these real estate courses, these wholesale courses, these investment courses, these multifamily unit courses, they're not telling you that all these stories. They're not telling you, hey, your first three properties, you may lose money, right? <laughs> they're not telling you you're going to actually have to spend three, five years to actually potentially trial and error of different real estate management companies before you find the correct one. You might be having to go through multiple contracts before you even realize which one is going to give you the best deal. They don't talk about the longevity and, as you always pointed out, the education that, that, that happens throughout years of learning these things. They People kind of sell it like you take my two, three-hour course and all of a sudden you're going to be printing money in a mm -hmm. year or so. And I think to me that's very deceitful. And I think that a lot of people who are interested in investing, especially real estate investment, they don't understand. Like men like you who are legitimate men who have legitimate businesses, it took them so many years to get there to where it is more of an automatic business. Um, and it's still, as you pointed out, it's still a little bit hands-on, right? You're not totally hands-off. You're not freaking in the Bahamas sipping martinis on a beach and cash is flowing. You know what I mean? There's still things that are going on. Yeah. And so I really appreciate you being honest and sharing that to the people because I feel like a lot of people are deceived when it comes to the ease of these certain industries. Yeah, and that's what's unfortunate, man, with that, that industry. Um, I think, I, I don't know what the statistic is, but even like in those courses and stuff, I think like 90% of people who buy those courses don't even finish the course. 90 or 93%. It's like, it's something absurd where, you know, it goes back to, are you going to be willing to put in the work? To, because the people are selling the dream, right? That's, that's the, the person who's selling the course is selling you the, if you do everything right, this is what it could be like. But again, like most things, it's only going to be like that for one to 3% of people. 
Mm. Are you going to do what those one to three percent of people are going to do? Mm. And if not, watch a ton of YouTube videos until you're ready to do it. And when you are, then do it for your own sake of your own finances. Like it doesn't mean that all these courses are bad. Some of them are great. It might it's again, who is a teacher? What are they teaching? And there's those two aspects. If they're teaching something that you want to learn and it's a good teacher, you, you know what you've seen their content and you like what they do, that might be a great product. But again, for that thing to work, you've got to be willing to put in the work. And that work is the tough part. And that's where, but that's where all their success is made. And that's why most people will not do it. I love that, man. In order to be successful, you have to put in the work. And like you said... People are selling the dream. And the reality is, I love what you, you're just, you're so brilliant. The dream is not bad because by God's grace, you are living the dream. The dream is not a lie. People have gotten to the dream, but you don't see the destination it took there, right? Yeah. And all the hours of hard work. Like, that's why I was asking you so many questions and I was writing down all the different years. Like, I, like I'm hearing you. This is, this is 2022, you were running businesses. You were you started off your, your you know your party or event planning business literally in high school. You said fifteen years old. That was two thousand seven, two thousand six, yeah. right? So you said you started buying property. You saw you know year two or three in college. That was two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. You're this is a a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of reading and courses and 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 trial and error like. It took you a lot for Jasper to get to where he is today. And I really value you so much because too many people in today's world, don't, they want the end result, but they don't want the, the effort that it took to get there. Yeah. And so I currently have an organization called The Standard. And The Standard is a community of high-performing men who work together to help each other achieve their full potential. And so the best part of that community is I have a ton of guys who are, they're hungry, they're ambitious, they're driven, they're actually really intentionally doing the things to become successful in life. These guys make anywhere between 75 to 150 a year. So when you think about a kind of guy who's driven, who's ambitious, who, who wants to put in the work, they're not afraid of the work, they embrace the work. You know, they're making anywhere between 70 to maybe 125, 150 a year. What would you say from your personal experience or your personal wisdom is the biggest financial mistake that man needs to avoid that will prevent him from becoming successful and building wealth in the long term. So if you're making 75 to 125, you should be able to live pretty comfortably. You can pay your bills and have some extra cash to put aside. But I think at that point, you can also get very comfortable where I, I got a decent house. I got a decent car. I can pay my bills. I don't really got to worry about much. I can take a vacation here and there. Like I'm comfortable. And that's where you got to decide now, do you want to be comfortable or do you want to be great? Mm. And to get to that next level, it's going to take another level of risk. Where now maybe you still got to sacrifice. You got to make more sacrifices to get to the next level. And I did an interview with Tom Bilyeu and we talked about this. And one of the things he talked about was he asked me, he's like, where do I spend most of my money? I said, my business. And we started telling each other stories. And then I was like, oh yeah, you know, the first time I brought in a million dollars in a year. Uh, I made less money than every one of my employees. I took home twenty, about twenty grand. It may be twenty-two grand on a million dollars. I could have took home way more, but the reason why is because I shoved everything back into the business. And 
it's just a different mindset shift where it's like, what, when do you put your foot off the gas pedal? Maybe it's a hundred grand. That's fine. I mean, look, not everybody has to make a hundred grand. Not everybody has to make half a million. Not everybody has to make a million. Not everybody has to make 10 million. Like you, you, you figure out what's right for you and figure out what level of impact you want to make. And that's going to help define you. And I wouldn't say make that decision by the dollars, make the decision by the impact and what it is that you want to do. And then based off of that, you're going to have to keep reinvesting. And that might be reinvesting into more books, more classes, more coaching, more consulting, more business ideas, more whatever it might be to get to where you want to go. And you got to be willing to make mistakes. And, and the unfortunate reality is that the cost of the mistakes get bigger and they get bigger. And that's where now, you know, like I talk about a mistake that I made, you know, more recently was our blog where um, I was working on all these other ventures and I wanted to build a blog for the minority mindset and I didn't have the time to lead it. So I built a team. I had a couple of people on staff. We had some freelance writers and we didn't really get much traction. So I brought on one of the best consultants like in the world. And man, I probably paid the consultant, I mean, over six figures in a year. So I forget the total amount, but over a hundred grand just in, you know, the consulting. And now a couple of that salaries, couple of that with content over the course of a couple of years, probably half a million dollars put into it. And we were making like four grand a month, five grand a month. Like, I mean, it's just like, it's not even covering a fraction of the cost. And at that point, you know, it's like, what, did, what was the problem? It was a too much money problem where my thinking was, I'm just going to throw money at it and get this machine to start working. And I didn't put much time into it because I was so busy other places where I'm like, just figure it out. But I, I, I didn't give it the attention that it needed. And so, you know, too much money can be a problem as well. And I, I saw that and I faced it and I lost a lot of money because of it. And so that was a lesson for me. So then we got rid of the blog. We, we reallocated those team members to different parts of the company. And now we're growing new things that are better and more aligned with what we want to do, have much more scaling opportunity. But it's that idea of, you know, being okay, making mistakes, being okay, screwing up. And, you know, like the, in the beginning, you know, you might make a $500 mistake and lose your mind. Like, holy crap, man, $500. Then you get up to five grand. It's like, oh man, that was an expensive mistake, but they keep getting bigger. And that's how you yeah. learn, you know, and, and oh. you got to keep making mistakes. You got to keep trying, keep, keep taking risks, keep investing in your own education. Yeah. So I, you keep on going back to investing in your own education. I love it. It's, it, it's really, it's funny because that is the minority mindset, right? Minorities are big on education. What would you say is the best investment you've made and currently make? So I'm not talking about like money. I'm talking about, is it courses? Is it a coach? Mm -hmm. Is it, was it a book? Like, what would you say is the best investment that you made that helped you take your life to where it is today? So, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Like I, I'm consuming content quite a bit. Um, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I'm a, I get, I have Audible. I have the three book a month plan right now. So I try to listen to three books in a month. I listen to books and I'm, I do a morning walk. I listen to my book then. I, I go to the gym. I listen to it then. And I listen to it at 1.8 speed. So it allows me to listen a little bit faster. Um, 
So I listen to a lot of books. I do hire coaches and consultants. Um, coaches and consultants are very expensive. I do buy classes here and there, but I'm not typically going through them myself. I usually buy them for like people on the team. But uh, coaches and consultants can be very expensive. And you, know, you just got to figure out at what stage is it right for you. Uh, so let's say when you like making 70 to 120, mm-hmm. what would you say, ambitious, driven, go-getter guy, what would you say would be the best investment in your personal opinion that guy should make? Would it be the audible plan? Would it be the coaches? Would it be uh, um, a course? Would it be um, a conference? Like in your opinion, what would you say maybe even helped you when you were in that area of life the most? Well, for one, definitely get the audible plan. Um, uh, but then beyond that, if I say for me, let me talk about me because I think every person is going to be different. Everyone's going to benefit in different ways. I don't think I started hiring any high level coaches or consultants until maybe like at least three or 400 grand. Um, before that, I think I, I bought a ton of like courses between $50 and a couple thousand dollars. So that was me where I, I, and you know, the funny thing about courses is when I spent a grand on a course or whatever, I didn't get like, Oh my God, this course blew me away. It was usually like one thing that each course taught me that I spent a grand to learn one core concept. And that one core concept is what made me my money back. Usually many times over. Uh, there was obviously sometimes where it was just crap, the, I mean, you know, that's kind of the price you pay. But most of the time, that's kind of the way it worked. Was, there was one thing that was like, oh, like that's a really good idea. And it's not trying to copy what you learn, but rather learning and applying whatever it is that you learn. Mm. And, yeah, that's really good. And you said three to 400 grand. Was that how much profit your business was generating? Was this your, your, sal- your yearly income? What do you mean by three to 400 grand? It was probably... It was probably three to four hundred grand the business was making, where half was probably left in the bank account, and uh, I wasn't taking home much, but it was probably like where the business was generating a few hundred grand, maybe four hundred grand a year in revenue, and when I was when I was at that stage, I mean the costs were smaller, but yeah, I would say revenue. Okay. And um, and something something else that you that you pointed out because initially you were saying that when I was asking you for the average guy right the average guy who's trying to you know retire early all that good stuff you said seventy five fifteen ten seventy five seventy seventy five cents of the dollar should go to your expenses fifteen percent should go to investments ten percent should go to um, savings so in your opinion let's say there's a uh, there's a man. You know, anywhere between the ages of 26, 35. So, you know, young, young, young man who's really hungry, really ambitious. He wants he wants the most that life has to offer. He doesn't want to be average. He wants to be extraordinary. He wants to be great in regards to percentage of expenses, um, income, sorry, expenses, savings and investments. What would you say is where, where you were at? And what would you say is a place that you kind of encourage the more aggressive people who want to really build that real long-term wealth to strive for in regards to those percentages? So uh, where I was, I was fortunate that I was young. I was in my early to mid-20s 
when I first made a hundred grand, um, early twenties when I first made a hundred grand, but I was in school, so my costs were very low, and I kept my costs even lower than most people would because you know like I didn't have a room, I slept on the living room floor, I I didn't spend money, so I was probably investing eighty five to ninety percent of my income. Wow. Um, and I didn't save much. And I was spending very little. Now, you know, it's easier to, it, it, so, you know, I, kind of that premise where it's much easier to do when you're in college, when you're in school, uh, when you don't have responsibilities, when you're not married, you don't got kids, it's much easier to do that. And so it's, it's more of just kind of finding that right level of, of what level of, what's your want versus needs. And there's an extent and how far you're willing to go with that. Like when I was in college, I was wearing these shoes. They were so beat up that the sole was separating from the shoe that I took masking tape and tied it up. I was making great money, but did I need shoes? Well, the average person would say (laughs) I needed shoes, but I was like, are you serious? (laughs) I taped it up. And you know, it's, you don't have to be that level of extreme, but you figure out what is that right balance for you. And you know, it's, it's, the secret to wealth is investing. It's plain and simple. Now, where do you invest it? Your own business, stocks, real estate. I mean, you have the whole list of things, right? Those are the places where you invest your money. The more you invest, the wealthier you become. How do you invest more money? You can make more money. You can spend less money. And so it's relatively a simple formula. But now the question is, okay, how do I now start earning more money or should I start living less? Because you don't want to get into this mindset of just living like you're broke forever because, I mean, you want to be able to enjoy your life. And I definitely mm-hmm. spend a lot more now and I've spent more on different types of luxuries. Like I still, you know, am frugal. I think that's just like in my blood. It's in my bones to be frugal. But I definitely spend money on things that provide value to me. Like, for example, education. I spend a ton of money on that. But I also spend money on things like travel. I want a nice Airbnb or I want to travel nicely, especially if I'm going international. I will buy and pay for a much nicer flight. I'll, I'll upgrade, even if it costs me five times more. So it's, you know, knowing what's important to you and being willing to spend on the value that you receive for the things that are important, but also being able to make sacrifices on the things that are not important. And, you know, just kind of knowing where that balance is. And every person is different. Like, I don't really care about designer clothes. It's just me. Somebody else, they might love designer clothes, but hate having... I don't know, expensive Airbnbs, you know, so it's, it's different, um, you know, where you want to go. Like it, everybody is, is different on that. What would you say is the best business and money book that you recommend to people? All right. So for money books, the first book, the first two books I would recommend is one is rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki and couple that with, um, Dave Ram, any one of Dave Ramsey's books. You got to read okay. both of those together because they're very different thinkings, but along the same, you know, concept of being smart with your money. So start you with seem that. more of a Kiyosaki guy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I love Kiyosaki, man. He's a, actually, I know him. Um, I've met him and we've done videos together, but they're both great. And they're like, Kiyosaki's big on leveraging everything. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, well, you know, I see what Dave's saying of just you know, not doing that. So, you know, I'm kind of, I would say more of in the middle. So do you have credit cards? 
Oh, I love my credit cards, man. Okay, see, so yeah, okay, 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 okay. I don't know if you're one of those Dave guys who, because my, 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 one of my good friends, Anthony O'Neill, you know, and Anthony O'Neill is like no debt ever, you know, no credit ever, you know? So I was wondering if you're that extreme. No, 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 no. So, I mean, my credit card, I, no, I, I only spend with credit cards. So <laughs> that I am not like Dave Ramsey, but look, I have a lot of respect for Dave, one of the yeah. smartest. Uh, he helps a lot of people get out of debt. So, you know, you got to read both. That's why you got to read both. You have to read both because they're two extremely different views. Like in terms of education, I'll just kind of point that out too. The best way to be educated is to listen to differing points of view. Listen to people who disagree with one another. That way you could find what's right for you. In terms of business books, man, there's, there are so many. Um, just, just start going to Amazon, find business books with the top number of reviews and just start reading them. Built to Sell teaches you how to build a business that's sellable. Uh, I mean, there's this, I can't even think of one. I can just pull up my Audible right now. But there's, I mean, there's an infinite amount of business books that you can read. Go read any form. Ready, Fire, Aim, The Art of the Start, The Power of One More. Uh, I love reading biographies. Oh, yeah. Biographies are one of the best business books for me. I just love seeing what people did. And it's not like a business book, but you'll see how people did things or why they did things. So, you know, read, there's just so many different types of books that you can read. No, this is great. No, Josh Preet, man, I really, really, man, there's so much wisdom. I was, I was taking notes and said, man, I'm, I'm going to learn myself today too because you're just, you're just so filled with wisdom. So in closing for, for, the, for the, the, the man who's driven, who's ambitious, right now, you know, we're in a recession, if not going into recession, depending on what you believe, what would you say are, in, in closing, the last piece of advice you'll give to individuals during this period of time who are looking to really build wealth? What, are, what would be your advice to those people um, in closing? Recessions create more millionaires than any other time, but you have to be willing to find the opportunity. And so that could mean investing in companies, investing in assets that go on sale, finding the opportunity there, or creating something. Microsoft, Airbnb, Uber, all of these companies were created during recessions. And so now it's a matter of you seizing the opportunity and taking advantage of it. Man, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. And I, and I love your message because everything's about educating yourself, reading, learning, equipping yourself with tools and resources to be successful. So thank you so much for your time. Where can the people find you at? Uh, you can check out my Instagram, Minority Mindset, YouTube, Minority Mindset. Uh, post videos there every day. And then if you want to check out our newsletters, go to briefs.co. I love it. I love it. Guys, you know how we get down here. Please reach out to Jaspreet. Let him know what about this podcast stood out to you guys. Thank you so much. My name is Hafiz, and I'm joined by Jaspreet Singh. Thank you guys so much, and have a great day.